0: Hello everyone and welcome to episode 79 of Joe's Tango Podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm your host Joe Yang and it's great to be here as always. My guests today are John Miller and Jessica Cutler based in Colorado. John has been dancing since he was 18. He eventually happened upon tango and started teaching full-time in 2009. He is also a very well-known DJ and has played over 1,500 Milongas and Practicas at multiple festivals. Jessica is a massage therapist, and in addition to tango, she teaches lindy hop and blues. Much of her teaching style is focused on body mechanics and helping students gain greater body awareness. They have been working together since 2012 and have taught at festivals in Denver, Salt Lake City, and in Mexico. And with me now are John Miller and Jessica Cutler. Welcome to the podcast, and thanks so much for taking the time to speak to me.
1: Yeah, thanks
2: for having us. Yay, thanks for having us.
0: <laughs> All right. Okay, so we'll uh, we'll start ladies first. Jessica, how, how did you fall in love with Tango?
2: I was a blues and swing dancer, mm-hmm. and I went to fusion events where Tango was featured. hmm And I saw it, and I thought it looked beautiful, and I felt it, and I thought it was incredible. So I kind of got a chance to get used to it slowly. Mm-hmm. And became more and more enamored with it mm-hmm. until finally it was my main dance. Yeah,
1: nice. How about you, John? Um, basically, for me, I found I guess a Piazzolla CD when I was in high school, mm-hmm. and I went totally crazy about it. And I asked the uh, the DJ at my high school prom to uh, to play the music. Mm-hmm. And for some reason he actually uh, consented to do it. Wow. So my partner and I were delighted and everybody else was less than delighted about that. <laughs> um, and so then when I got to uh, to the university, they had a, a club and so I joined it and basically I've been stuck on it ever since.
0: Nice, nice. So since you were probably around 18, 19? Uh, yeah, yeah. Wow, awesome. So what was your very first tango lesson like, John?
1: I think the, the very first Tango lesson that I had was in my high school Spanish class. Oh. Uh, somebody was doing a presentation on Argentina. And so he, uh, he brought in uh, tango as the, as the thing. Uh, so he, he did little cutouts of feet and placed them on the floor going through <laughs> the, I think they, they count basic probably. Okay. And then the first like actual tango class that I took uh, was in college. And I think for that one, it was a huge class. There must have been sixty people in there, and um, you know, a bunch of a uh, bunch of eighteen, nineteen-year-olds mm-hmm. sort of running into each other, and uh, <laughs> uh, basically, it was it was just a disaster. But I loved it.
2: Okay. kind of like the modern college classes now. <laughs> <laughs>
0: nice. How about you, Jessica? What was your very first tango lesson like?
2: It was a group class at the Hot Night Fusion event, mm-hmm. and. I remember trying to cross for an hour and couldn't figure it out. Uh I remember thinking, why do I do this? And now it feels really second nature to me.
3: Mm -hmm. Mm
2: -hmm. I remember watching tango dancers perform at the first dance I ever saw and and having this really strong feeling of inspiration, like I could do that.
0: (laughs) Nice. Yeah, how about your very first dance at a malanga? What was that like?
2: I went to a malanga on accident once before I got interested in tango. Mm -hmm. I showed up at a venue that I was used to going to on on the wrong night. Mm -hmm. And I remember trying to go out on the floor with somebody who invited me and it being a complete disaster. Oh! But I was really inspired by what everybody was wearing. Mm. I remember thinking, I want to wear silk dresses and asymmetrical things and <laughs> like the 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 beauty of it and how the women dressed was really enticing.
0: Nice. Nice. How about you, John?
1: Let's see. I think the, the first Milonga that I really have a clear memory of going to was it, it must have been around a festival weekend at our, uh, our our regular place in Denver, the Mercury Cafe. Mm-hmm. That venue comfortably holds about maybe 150 people. Mm-hmm. And I think there must have been 250 to 300 in the room. And I'd been dancing for a few months at the time. So as you can imagine, when I went out to dance with people on the floor with my beginner-level floor craft, uh, I just spent the whole time running into people and trying to repeat this really complicated step that I'd learned in the class. Ah. And I remember dancing with one lady who, uh, at the end of a song, she's like, oh, do you mind if I give you a couple of words of advice? I'm like, yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. And she said, you know, you need to, to keep your, your head up. Imagine that your, your spine is a string of pearls going into the sky. Mm. And you want to make sure that you're grounded in the floor. And before you try complicated figures, you should probably learn how to walk. <laughs> and so that was the,
3: mm-hmm.
1: the, that was sort of the, uh, the wake up call for me that I needed to start taking mm-hmm. things a little bit more seriously if I wanted to actually have fun with the dancing thing.
3: Uh, yeah.
2: Yeah. was the venue that I flopped into accidentally. Oh, yeah. So maybe that night, while you were getting some words of wisdom, I was getting totally confused. <laughs> we had yet to meet. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Words of wisdom, wake up calls. That's a good segue. Uh, I like to talk a little bit about turning points in our learning. So, uh, as you mentioned, John, there was somebody who said, imagine your spine is a, as a string of pearls. That's a really nice image. What's some other really good or memorable advice that you've gotten from some of your own teachers or, or tango mentors that really stuck with you?
1: Probably the... The biggest one, it, it didn't really seem like such a big thing at the time, but over probably like the last five or six or seven years since I heard this, it's it's really started to be, the importance of it has come out to be like more and more clear. So I, I took a lesson with Gustavo Nevera years ago, and at some point he was talking about trying to step exactly with the partner. Mm-hmm. Right, and uh, and what he did is he, he did the same figure twice. Like one time, he did everything like really beautiful with clean lines, and you know, like all of the you know, the tango posture and all that. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, I can do the, the figure like this, or I can do it like this. And then he did one where um, instead of making good lines, he was just like kind of like stomping around as he mm-hmm. went through the same step.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And he said, if I do the one with the good lines but I'm not coordinating with my partner, it doesn't matter. Mm. If I do the one where I'm just stomping around, but I'm exactly with her, then that's good tango. Oh. And you know, as the years have gone by, the, like, that keeps coming back to me and that, that becomes more and more clear that it's really more about being right with the partner than looking good or doing the figure well or anything like that.
0: Oh, okay, nice. How about you, Jessica?
2: One of the turning points for me was um, actually with a a blues instructor who Mm
3: -hmm.
2: was integrating anatomy into her teaching. Mm -hmm. And she had everybody working on the hip socket and talking about how the free hip drops naturally in Mm -hmm. gait and in just standing posture when you shift your weight. Mm -hmm. And when I finally understood this and was able to implement it, It made all of my dancing in every dance so much better and stronger Mm. and more balanced and it inspired me to take what I know about anatomy and really apply it Mm -hmm. into my teaching yeah that was a big turning point but I think also when I started doing the seminars with Gustavo and Giselle and John and I started going to those regularly I Mm -hmm. noticed my dancing went from like mediocre to strong
0: nice Nice, yeah. Because you have a you're a massage therapist, and you've got a you know a really big background in understanding body awareness. So, yeah, yeah, I imagine that's a huge advantage when it comes to understanding what we're doing when we're dancing.
2: I think it helps a lot. The more I start using it and sharing it with people, the more successful it is. Mm-hmm. I think I had one mentor really early on who discouraged me from it and i thought it was a bad idea but Mm -hmm. once i let go of that idea and i started to really use it i got such positive response from my students they really appreciated it Mm -hmm. and it helped me to understand it better too Mm -hmm. john and i have a skeleton at the house his name is slim
0: slim awesome
2: and slim sometimes goes with us to events but um, he's always at the house to mm-hmm. help out with lessons if we don't we can't answer a question right away
1: okay yeah, it's it's really useful with the with the skeleton yeah um, to be able to show students exactly how this or that joint articulates and how mm-hmm. the, the body is actually put together um, okay so i feel like a lot of times people don't really have a very clear sense of how their body actually is you know so having something uh, you know something tangible and something visual visual mm-hmm. like really makes a big difference for yeah them.
0: Yeah, that, exactly. Because I might imagine my body being the way it is, but then, you know, if you actually look at the skeleton, it's, it's might I might be way off. Or yeah. A good yeah. example
2: of that is actually the hip socket. So mm-hmm. if you go into a class of 30 people and you say, okay, everybody, take your pointer finger and touch your hip socket, generally about 80% of the class is like three or four inches off.
0: Oh, yeah.
2: And, um, point they usually point to their greater trochanter or the outside mm-hmm. uh, their bony landmark okay. and so finding having people like really find their joint system can be a huge shift for them
0: mm. okay so there's this really popular video of the both of you going around at the from the Boulder Tango festival of you dancing on top of a, a tabletop and not a very big tabletop mind you so how did that idea come about
1: well mostly that was well, let me back up a little bit. So sure. a few years ago, we got kind of uh, kind of obsessed with watching really old tango videos. So things from the thirties and the forties. Okay. And like we did a, a month of teaching decades. So we taught a, a month of you know figures from the thirties, a month of figures from the forties. Nice. Um, and so on. And so when we got into the sixties and the seventies, of course, uh, one of the the biggest people that we came across was. Copes and Yeves. and a few years ago a, a film came out called uh, I think
2: The Last Tango The Last
1: Tango yeah that's, that's what it was and that was about Carlos Copes and Rania Nieves mm. and so in there they they talk about performing on top of the on top of the table um, as part of their uh, their stage uh, their stage show and so Jessica had the idea why don't we do
2: that I was I was set on it I was like let's do it I'm totally gonna do it and then I realized what a task it was I was like wait what table would we dance on Mm -hmm. so I asked around and I found a carpenter Mm -hmm. and we had a table specially made that the top of it comes off of the base so we could choreograph it on the ground oh okay I think when I actually brought the table home, mm-hmm. John started to realize that this was really going to happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah
1: I, I, uh, she, she was much more enthusiastic about the whole project than I was to start
3: with.
2: <laughs> I really wanted to do something that would be exciting, that would be novel, mm-hmm. that would help us to grow and push us as a couple. Yeah. And also pay tribute to something really old and beautiful about the tango. Yeah. When I went online and I looked at like videos, I was looking to see if this was done. And I, I was searching through YouTube and I found a couple that look pretty cool, but I felt like it was the right time to make this, to do another
0: one. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So when you, when the first time you practiced off the ground with the table assembled, what, how did that go?
1: it was fairly terrifying for me because the the thing that uh, you know because i've I've been dancing at packed festivals for years and years Mm -hmm. and it's kind of one thing to feel like you have a really good sense of your space and the floor craft and how far you can go before you're going to be you know running into people whatever Mm -hmm. but when you're dancing on a surface where if you step too far you're actually going to fall off of it you realize that you're not actually taking quite as much care about your positioning as you think and so when we when we started with the table off the floor there were a few moments where i took steps that almost took us off the table and so that was Made me a little bit nervous, mm-hmm. but the the big thing is that because it's a round table sitting on top of a square base, mm-hmm. that means that parts of the tabletop hang off past the base, mm-hmm. and so uh, we had one particularly exciting moment um, when we were practicing <laughs> where both of us stood on the edge of the table oh. at a spot where it was not supported by the base. Mm-hmm. And so of course it started to tip over, mm. which is not something you usually have to worry about your floor doing. So <laughs> we, we worked out all of the, uh, uh, all the excitement with the geometry and it's been mm-hmm. pretty okay since then. Nice. Yeah,
2: the, we thought the bigger problem would be stepping off the table, but the bigger problem turned out to be tipping the table over with our weight. Oh, And yeah. so the, the frame that the table sits on is kind of like a, a skeleton cube. Okay. And what we ended up doing was putting weights in shoe bags and putting those at the base of it mm-hmm. so it would weigh us down, so it wouldn't tip the table over.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: The performance we did this year for Boulder Tango Festival is the second one. Okay. We did this a year ago at our festival, Tango on the Rocks, and it went okay. hmm And we really, I especially really, really wanted to do it again. Mm-hmm. And so we had another year to perfect it, to practice it. Mm-hmm. We changed a couple things to make it a little bit better. And I was really grateful that we got the opportunity to perform mm-hmm. it at the Boulder Tango Festival.
0: Nice. So hope you, hopefully you didn't get scolded by family members when they saw you do it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, just a little bit. I mean, um, most of the people that uh, that have known us for a long time Like always, find some sort of uh, table dancing joke, but Mm -hmm. um, uh, I think we expected that going into it. So Mm
3: -hmm.
2: yeah, like okay, now we want to see it on a tinier table, blindfolded.
1: (laughs) Nice. Yeah. (laughs)
2: Um, Or where's the backflip? Or oh god. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I remember when I first told my grandma, she she was on the phone with me for ten minutes, like, this isn't a good idea.
0: Yeah, so don't try this at home, kids. You know, there's a lot that a lot of preparation that goes into something like this. Yeah. About
2: two years from mm-hmm. beginning to end to go from conception, getting the table, mm-hmm. rehearsing it, coming up with the choreography, practicing it, performing it, and performing it again finally in its yeah. finished form. Mm-hmm. I definitely do not recommend people get up on regular tables and just go for it. No. no.
3: Um <laughs> we had
2: problems enough with a special table so yeah <laughs> i would hate to see anybody get hurt
0: right right it's not what ikea is designed for
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah so there's some really wonderful moments of, of musicality and so forth so just just kind of switching gears to, to musicality in general that the wonderful thing about tango is that we're really free to interpret the music in, in many different ways um, but at the same time, that's what makes the dance really challenging and intimidating for beginning students when they come to Malangas, you know, the, for the first few times. So what's your advice for beginner students on how to develop musicality when they're s- just starting to go out to Malangas?
1: Well, for me, I think the, the the big thing that I find that beginner students tend to get hung up on when they're, how to say, it's like when they have enough of a grasp on the dance that they feel mm-hmm. like they can Actually, go out to the milongas. Is that uh, at least for the leaders? They try to remember what steps they have, and they try to do all of their steps when they go to dance. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times they're not really paying very much attention to the music, mm-hmm. and just trying to go through their repertoire and make sure they haven't missed anything important.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And so the kind of the the two things that I I like to tell students sort of at that phase are first of all to just try to listen to the music and not worry about what steps they're doing. Mm. And of course, they're never convinced when I say that. <laughs> right. But the other uh, the other big thing that I find is helpful for students is for them to listen to the music when they're not dancing, mm-hmm. uh, just like driving around or cleaning the house, and also to try counting the music so that they're really actively involved in understanding what's happening in it.
2: Mm-hmm. I definitely recommend people listen to the music at home Mm -hmm. and I recommend they get silly and playful (laughs) and dance by themselves. I tell them dance like no one's watching Yeah, and and listen to it. I think part of it is that in American culture, Mm -hmm. tango music isn't something you grow up with. Right. And it's so unfamiliar that I believe it takes time for people to uh, appreciate it and love it. Mm-hmm. I always recommend if anybody has an opportunity to go to live music, that that is a huge game changer. Mm-hmm. That was the pivotal moment for me when I started to really love tango music mm-hmm. and appreciate it and to feel more of its complexity was mm-hmm. when I went and danced to live music. Ah. But I always recommend my students put on two colored socks and <laughs> close their eyes and put on some tango music and just kind of dance by themselves mm-hmm. and learn mm-hmm. how to connect to it. Because when you can feel the music in your own heart, mm-hmm. then it's much easier in a crowded milonga setting um, to connect to it and to connect to your partner.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. So going from, from musicality to maybe talking about peers because you're going to have students with all different levels. What are some good ways in your opinion for advanced students to help the beginners?
1: That's a good question. That's a good question. One thing that we tend to do um, in the the way that we arrange our classes is mm-hmm. uh, usually we'll have a beginner class followed by an intermediate or advanced class. Like that's the typical setup that we'll do for a couple hours. Uh-huh. And so a lot of times I'd, i sort of encourage my more advanced students to come for the beginner class mm-hmm. so that they're in the rotation and working with students that are uh, that are just starting. And I feel like when they're in that kind of setting of uh, kind of like being helpful and kind of a classroom setting, it, like it, it helps them to feel like they're building the community a little bit, Yeah. Because right? if, if you tell advanced people to go and dance with beginners at the Milongas, I feel like that can make them that that can be sort of off putting for them because mm-hmm. it's you know it can be really rough to to dance with somebody who's brand new when it's crowded and that kind of thing. Yeah. But in a context where they're very clearly helping to uh, to foster the like the new generation of the dancers, mm-hmm. I feel like that that puts everybody into a really good mindset and they tend to have a good like a very good attitude about helping the students and being patient with them and and all that kind of thing.
2: I have a, a new policy that I just started working on for myself that mm-hmm. I've been sharing with some of my friends, which is the 60 20 mm-hmm. policy.
3: Okay.
2: 20% of my dances, I dance with people who are my friends. Mm-hmm. And this is regardless of their level and just because they're somebody I care about. Mm-hmm. At 20% of the time, I dance with people who are developing dancers and who are younger in their, in their dance Mm -hmm. And then 60% of the time, I dance with whoever I want. Okay. And when I go by this, it gives me a certain amount each night that I put into different groups. And it makes me feel sort of balanced and Mm -hmm. comfortable. Mm -hmm. Without feeling like I need to spend my entire night devoted to helping people, it still makes me feel really good.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: I also, I feel like making friendships is really important for advanced dancers and new dancers because mm-hmm. I think what really brings people into it is the sense of community mm-hmm. and it's it's nice to understand that even if you don't necessarily want to dance with a certain person you might really enjoy talking to them mm-hmm. you might really have a lot in common and that if we are open to making friendships mm-hmm. then that actually will do more to keep people in the scene than dancing with them
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So be friends, make friendly.
0: Very, very good. So over the years, what have you learned from your own students?
1: Uh, For me, I would say basically everything. What I've found throughout the the process of developing as a teacher is that when I try to explain something to to somebody that I feel like I have a grasp on, (laughs) sometimes they they get it right away, (laughs) and other times like it doesn't make sense to them the way that I talk about it
3: mm-hmm.
1: and so then um, I have to find different ways of explaining the same thing until I find something that clicks with them
3: mm-hmm.
1: And so I find in the in the process of going through that I always learn some new thing about whatever it is that I'm teaching
3: mm-hmm.
1: and that's just a you know I, I think that's like one of my favorite things about the about teaching is how much I end up learning from the, the process of doing that mm. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's like the, that's kind of one side of it. I think the other thing is that a lot of times working with students, they'll phrase something in a way that I wouldn't have thought of, mm. which ends up really clarifying.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Sometimes students will will tell me about a book that they read or a podcast that they listen to mm-hmm. that uh, that introduces some some idea about how to how to teach or how learning works or you know anything like that. Mm-hmm. and i will get, Insights from sort of listening to them and seeing what they're uh, like, what it is that that they have to offer on that.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: I feel like it's it's really important for me as a teacher that I'm not sort of going in as uh, like the the ultimate authority on the thing that I'm teaching.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, it's it's always sort of presenting the best information that I have at the moment, mm-hmm. which hopefully I'll improve upon as I go along.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I think students' curiosity is really valuable. Sometimes we'll be showing something, and they'll ask, well, what if we didn't do this part? Or what if you kept the rotation? Or what if
3: Mm -hmm.
2: they have some curiosity, and then we try it? Mm -hmm. And it it works. It's innovative. Mm -hmm. And as I I learn more, my my mind goes in a a slightly different direction. So Mm -hmm. students bring this empty plate, and they will sometimes come up with ideas or questions that I would not think of at all mm-hmm. that turn out to be really useful, really interesting and, yeah. and make it fun. So I, I learned that, that their lack of experience mm-hmm. is sometimes a real benefit because they don't have any preconceptions to, to limit them about what the dance can be.
3: Hmm.
0: Yeah, the curiosity and that uh, willingness to experiment. I love it when, when students do that when they go on what happens if i do this yeah. yeah yeah so how do you both keep challenging yourselves
2: we're going to get a smaller and smaller table <laughs> <laughs> blindfolded on oh. ice
1: <laughs> i think for for me um one of the the big things that like in, in terms of challenging myself and working on my dancing and getting better and all of that
3: mm-hmm.
1: i really feel like there's always room for improvement in terms of the way that I move mm-hmm. and the way that I connect to my partner. Like just all of the, it sounds like such a cliche, but all of the really basic things, I feel like I put way more time and energy into refining those mm-hmm. than on, you know, more complicated things or specific figures or anything like that.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: I really feel like, for for example, in this last year, I've put just a, a ton of time personally into trying to work on my pivots, trying to work on the way that I place my weight when I go and take my steps. You know, it's uh, all those things which are really annoying when you're a beginning dancer and you just wanna get out there and dance. Those are the the things that I'm spending most of my time working on now. Mm
2: -hmm. We're really fortunate to have colleagues um, and mentors here in Colorado. I don't think it's a secret. John and I study under Gustavo and Giselle. Mm -hmm. We're lucky to have them here. And every time we go and take a seminar, we get a lot out of it. So for us, part of what keeps us going is to study and work with people who are amazing Mm -hmm. and who challenge us and who have new things to bring to the table. We really value study. And Mm -hmm. I think if I didn't, like if we were the best dancers in Colorado, Mm -hmm. I might be a little bit bored. It's it's uh like feeds me mm-hmm. to watch and learn from people who have um, strengths that I don't have and who have knowledge that I don't have.
0: Great. So what are some future projects you're working on?
2: We're doing a lot more with um, video right now. Mm-hmm. We sort of had this epiphany that there's not a lot of high quality video in the tango world. Mm-hmm. We have most of the videos um, are taken off of people's phones. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've been um, working with a videographer to do more high-quality video projects, like a project with a musician.
3: Mm.
2: Um, we're we're considering right now, tell me what you think of this idea, this might be sure. kind of crazy. We're thinking about doing a Christmas video.
0: <laughs> yeah, go for it. <laughs>
3: <laughs> like
2: dancing in front of a Christmas tree. Um, we're thinking of maybe doing something on a skyscraper like okay wouldn't, it be, wouldn't that be fun yeah so if we can
1: yeah because you know the the table is four feet off the floor right. but if we can find a, a surface that's like 300 feet off the floor that's uh sort of the <laughs> next logical step in the progression so
2: yeah we we want to add more quality videos into the tango world because i when i look at other dances there's a few of them that mm-hmm. when i when i search them all the videos are really quality mm-hmm. And it makes it so that it reaches the broader public. Yeah. So we want to reach more the broader public. That was one of the best things about the table video is that we had so many people watching it and being inspired about tango who mm-hmm. were otherwise not involved in it. Yeah. We've been, um, we're about to start a new program for tango in Denver with our own regular weekly classes and practica and... Mm-hmm. We want to build a school here. And so it's really important to us in the future to include the general public, Mm -hmm. to really reach out to college-age dancers Mm -hmm. and make a space that welcomes people. We want to bring in new people and young people into the tango. That's kind of what 2019 has Mm -hmm. for us as a big goal
0: yeah the the challenges of community building and and maintaining the the community what are some things that you both do that you find are, are really effective in in maintaining and building communities?
1: The biggest thing I think that's helpful for um, for building community hmm. is eating with people <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. The, that's, that's kind of the main thing the, our, our venue closed about a year ago, but we were for a couple of years teaching at uh, like in the upstairs of an Italian restaurant, so we would do sort of daytime classes on Sundays, and between the break between the classes and after the class, we would always order a big spread of food, and everybody would sit around and eat and talk together and chat
2: and mm-hmm. share.
1: Yeah, and and they would share. You know, like everybody would order things that that were sort of family style, and so it really it really helped to to make the sense of community because mm-hmm. I feel like. When you require that the community be based just on dancing, it's uh, it's it's a lot harder for people to kind of open up and uh, like and really feel comfortable in that space. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, because they're nervous about their dancing, or uh, they dance with somebody that puts them in uncomfortable positions, and so they they try yeah. to avoid like socializing with them for fear that they'll be pulled into dancing. You know, all, all those things.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: But when everybody can just sit down and sort of share a meal together. Mm-hmm. All that sort of goes away, and the the community really sticks together much more strongly in those no. cases.
3: Okay. Yes,
2: socializing is is super important. I think also listening to what people want.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: We've we've been asking questions, um, starting conversations online, mm-hmm. and really asking the community what they want, what would make them happy, what would make them excited to come out dancing. Mm-hmm. And some of the answers that we got were really useful and have been inspiring for what we want to do in the, in the next year. Somebody mentioned that they are really inspired by modern orchestras mm-hmm. and that they like the the traditional recordings, but they would love to hear them. Um, played by modern musicians. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, that's not too much to ask. That's a That sounds really cool. I would be interested in hearing more mm-hmm. modern orchestras myself. Mm-hmm. So, like, actually feet on the ground, asking the community what they want is part of the approach mm-hmm. so that they feel like, like what they want and their opinions um, really matter.
0: Yeah. All right. So... Where do we find out more about you online?
2: We have two pages. We have John and Jessica Tango. Okay. And we have Tango on the Rocks, which mm-hmm. is sort of revolved around more our festival. Mm-hmm. And then we have a website, Tango on the Rocks. Okay. As
0: well. yep. All right. And that's Jessica with one S? That's right. Okay. And I will make sure I have your URLs in the show notes so people will be able to look you up and learn more about you. Okay. Well, John and Jessica, thank you so much again for taking the time to speak to me. I know you're both super busy with a lot of upcoming projects and exciting things, but it's, uh, yeah, it's great you took some time out to share your thoughts and philosophies. And I think the listening audience will really appreciate it. I'll
2: yeah, thank say. you. Yeah. Thanks, Joe. You're, you're very kind. It's nice. It was uh, nice to chat with you.
0: Yeah, likewise. Hope to meet you in person soon someday.
1: Yeah,
2: sounds us good. Us too. Save us a dance.
0: Yeah, definitely. Okay, John and Jessica, another fun conversation. They both said a lot of interesting stuff and what stood out to me was the advice that they themselves received earlier in their own tango journeys. Jessica mentioned that being introduced to detailed anatomy really opened her eyes and that having a more in-depth understanding of body awareness really moved her dancing forward. That can be very useful for us as well. And I like what John said about the importance of moving with your partner yes we all want to look good on the dance floor but we can't prioritize that over connecting and matching our partner's steps so whether we're moving gracefully and displaying nice clean lines or stepping more heavily if you're in sync with your partner you're doing tango properly and when it came to advice for beginners i liked what john said about listening to the music and focusing more on that instead of trying out all the steps you learned in the last class You don't need to bring your entire repertoire, just the essentials to help you move in time to the songs. And yes, we've heard this advice in previous episodes, but we'll keep making the point because we understand that beginners aren't always immediately convinced of this nugget of wisdom. But believe me, it's definitely true. And of course, it was great to learn about the the behind-the-scenes details of their tabletop tango performance. I'll provide a link to it in the show notes. It's really fun to watch. It was a project that took about two years to perfect. That's a long time. So enjoy watching it if you haven't already seen it. And although they make it look really easy, do not try it at home or at the furniture store. We don't want anyone getting banned from IKEA over this video. So thank you again, John and Jessica, for taking the time to tell us your stories and for sharing your thoughts. And thanks to all you listeners for tuning in. If you'd like to get in touch, feel free to send an email to wisconsintango at gmail.com. Once again, that's wisconsintango, all one word, at gmail.com. Always appreciate that feedback. And if you're a new listener, make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And while you're at it, go ahead and give it a five-star rating. It only takes a second, and it helps out a lot okay that wraps up another episode of joe's tango podcast i'm joe yang and i'll talk to you again soon